Hi, I'm Lucy. I'm Georgie. And I'm Jess. And we are the Female Athlete Podcast. We're here because we believe the conversation around the female body and how it works needs to be opened up. Discussing topics from puberty to menopause and everything in between, the Female Athlete Podcast aims to inspire confidence and empower through education and conversation. There's no shame or awkwardness here, just honest and open conversations about female health-related topics. In our eyes, anyone who uses their body to move or exercise is an athlete. So join us as we open up the conversation. We'd like to thank our title sponsor for Series 2, Pretty Athletic. Pretty Athletic is a unique skincare brand for active women. Whether you're a runner looking for the best moisturiser, an amazing gel cleanser for pre- and post-workouts, or a soothing tonic to help combat gym skin, Pretty Athletic are the go-to brand whatever your skincare concerns and needs. And did we mention it's also 95% natural, vegan, and packed with scientifically proven actives. The products are also packaged in a really cool and appealing design. We all know we need to look after our skin, and we believe Pretty Athletic is a fantastic choice of skincare for active women. So I've actually used Pretty Athletic products for some time now, and I got in touch with them, and they were really, really helpful because... I'm quite a sweaty runner and um, I was getting quite a lot of dry skin, particularly around my chin um, and sort of my lower cheeks and I, I didn't really want that. Kept covering it up with makeup and things, that obviously doesn't help. So I found that the actual sweat proof hydration gel um, before and after all of my runs and workouts has made such a big difference and really cleared up all the dryness. Um, and I actually really like the shower gel, it's the shower scrub I think it is. And as I said, I'm a particularly sweaty person, particularly after some gym sessions. So that really makes me feel a lot cleaner and cleansing everything and sort of ready for the next workout. Head to www.prettyathletic.com to view the amazing range of products available and use discount code FEMALEATHLETEPOD for 20% off. So it's been a couple of months since we last spoke, guys, and um, we've had the summer to collect our thoughts. How has everybody been and um, what's everyone been up to? Yeah, all all good from my side. Um, Things have been pretty busy, um, which is great. Lots of female athletes seem to be very keen to learn more about the menstrual cycle, to really focus on their health, given what has been going on around COVID, um, which is brilliant and I I feel like while women's sport has taken um a bit of a, a hit I guess around COVID um I really feel that now is the time to actually like try and use this kind of break this op- as an opportunity to really progress on and um almost try and reshape female sport moving forwards and as I keep saying like we've just got to strike now we've got to go for it and things like the female athlete podcast um makes me really excited about this and I think we've just got to be really positive moving forward and support our female athletes as best as we can um so yeah exciting times ahead I think sounds busy Georgie as usual (laughs) um for me I've I think I've been pretty busy but probably not Georgie's level um (laughs) I think I've taken the opportunity to really get stuck into some data sets that might have been collected uh, or have been collected previously. So I've actually managed to publish and submit quite a lot of research articles, which has been great. And even actually managed to collect some survey data around both women's sport with Lucy and also around the menstrual cycle and COVID with Georgie. So it's been nice working with you both still. 
Um, and then going forward, I'm really sort of excited to get going with the female athlete pod again. Um, I think we've got some real exciting guests lined up and some topics that I think we didn't necessarily overlook, but we knew we had to dedicate like a second series to them. So I'm really excited going forward and hopefully we can attract some more and more listeners and questions and just continue breaking down those barriers. Absolutely. And I completely echo that, Jess. I'm, I've been missing recording these episodes and recording the pod. And um, like you say, new sponsors, new guests, um, and lots happening for season two. So, um, and Patreon content as well. So um, hopefully everyone gets what they want out of those episodes. But um, yeah, for myself, I can't say I've been as busy as you guys, probably. I've been... Um, yeah, I've been enjoying the summer, but I have to say I've recently gone into yoga. So I do a 10 minute YouTube yoga session every morning and um, without sounding too uh, cheesy, it has actually changed my life. <laughs> I feel like I'm so much more like so much more headspace and um, yeah, just much better now in the hips and stuff because I used to get such tight hips um, for running and things. So um, yeah, and I've actually managed to actually jump on the bandwagon of a few Joe Wicks workouts as well which have been I think my gym gym membership's just redundant now I don't know if everyone else has gone that way but um, yeah that's that's my update <laughs> sounds good I, I attempt to yoga every now and then and then I probably leave it for about six weeks till I attempt the next one so that's uh, my extent of yoga <laughs> so on today's podcast we're going to be focusing on endurance sports and the menstrual cycle but not necessarily just your marathon type endurance sports we're talking ultra marathons so you know multiple days out in the desert trying to survive as well as perform at a really high level um, and the guest today is Jenny Tuff who's someone I've admired and come across the last couple of years really she's always done a lot of bike packing um, so she has done biking across different continents and packing a bag and surviving by herself and navigating her own way around these places. And then she also has now set herself a goal um, of running across a mountain range in every continent across the world. She talks about why she decided to do this, but it's just been picked up by social media because she started recording it. And um, recently she's spoken about her experience with the menstrual cycle whilst performing these ultra endurance events, which I think something it's something that Georgie and I have come across when dealing with elite athletes and any kind of athletes who are doing these sort of ultra endurance events and might have sporadic bleeding or different symptoms. Jenny really explains um, how she's dealt with it in the past and how sort of this has brought to light her own education on the menstrual cycle really. So hopefully this will open up a few doors um, for people and you know educate everybody as well on these ultra endurance events. Hi Jenny, we're really excited to have you on. I'm just going to add quickly to Jess's introduction. So Jenny Tuff is an adventure athlete currently involved in a project to run solo and unsupported across a mountain range on every continent, as Jess mentioned. She also competes in ultra endurance races and was the first woman, woman to win the Silk Road Mountain Race and Atlas Mountain Race. Jenny recently completed her fifth mountain range, the Alberta Rockies, near where she grew up in Canada. And Jenny, you've also launched a book recently, haven't you, called Tough Women Adventure Stories, Stories of Grit, Courage and Determination, which sounds great. Yeah, Tough Women just came out a couple weeks ago. It's kind of weird launching it virtually without seeing anyone, but yeah, it's out there now. I'm really excited. 
Great. So um, we know you had to re recently cancel one of your expeditions on the Caucasus mountain range due to COVID. Um, but you don't kind of strike us as a person that sits on your hands very often. Um, what have the last few months and weeks been like for you? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it was hard first realizing that I'm not going to get to do the things I normally do. I mean, I, I kind of travel all the time and it's half passion, half actually my work so um losing that was a little bit scary as well um so I had been planning to run across the Caucasus Mountains and when I realized that didn't look good you know I didn't want to get locked down in Azerbaijan no offense to Azerbaijan but it just didn't seem like a good way to spend my summer um I realized I could still do the Canadian Rockies which were meant to be the last one because it was home and that was gonna be my whole thing was like go around the world and then finish at home but you know what this is literally the worst way that probably COVID has affected me is that I had to run across the Rockies instead of the Caucasus like it's not I'm not complaining um this whole thing is meant reframing what adventure means you know when we spend time in our local areas and we don't push the boat out as far because you know we need to be careful right now and um you know it's it's been a weird year and it's not something I would have chose for myself to be a lot more local and stay in one area, but, um, you know, I've made the best of it and I'm kind of enjoying the new vibe and, you know, I hope it's over soon, but, um, yeah, found ways to keep adventuring. So it sounds like you've been busy anyway. Yeah. You know, just casually running across the Rockies in, <laughs> um, in lockdown. So it's more than most of us, I think. So that sounds awesome. Um, I think when you first sort of came to, the public eye I suppose and um, when you you know set about trying to run solo across a mountain range in every continent but like what brought you to that point have you always been in, interested in endurance and particularly you know sort of outdoor activity so what made you think like this is for me this is what I'm going to do you know starting way back when you were a child I suppose as well yeah um I mean I've always done this kind of stuff like adventure and endurance and travel like has just always been my life but it was always just something I did in my spare time. Like I was a freelance writer and I mainly did that job because it meant that I could go away for long periods of time and not lose my job because I made my own hours. Um, so I was always adventuring anyways. Um, and I think the moment was I was at a festival with some friends, like an adventure festival. And the demographic being represented on stage was um, pretty monotonous. And... <laughs> I remember one of my friends saying, you know, like, you know, you've done harder stuff than most of those guys up there on that stage anyways. Like, you know, you, you could do it. Um, and I thought, you know, I could either sit here and complain or write a letter to the event organizer that there aren't enough women or people of color, or I could just do something about it. You know, I could put my own hand up. I'm a woman that does stuff. So, <laughs> um, so it was just like nothing changed really. It was just more that I started, I got a camera and started doing things publicly and telling people like, look, here, I did this too, even though I look like this. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. And like you say, it doesn't take a lot. Like you said, you're still doing it anyway. Um, so yeah. you just made it public and made people aware. And I think that's one thing we want to do through our podcast is make people aware of things that women are doing, women are going through and all that kind of things. Because some people just don't know and it's not their fault, is it? It's just the way the world is, I suppose. Yeah, and if you can't see it, you can't be it. And that's, yeah. you know, that's something that we know about children, especially. And that's where that's what I think worries me the most is if you go to one of these festivals or you're really interested in mountains or whatever, and then you just see one demographic yeah. and you just start to believe that it's not for you and you never pick it up. And I think that's a huge shame. So, yeah. so that's kind of the most important thing for me and my motivation. 
Yeah, yeah, super inspiring. Um, so you've recently spoken out about as well, like how many times you get asked about, you know, safety and doing this on your own and things like that. And what you said recently regarding sort of female safety in particular was, was really sort of eye-opening. Do you get sort of sick of people asking you that kind of question or do you just think, I wish they'd ask the males, the guys these questions as well? Um, I do get sick of it, but kind of on a higher level of that this is the way that people perceive the world, that one, it's a dangerous place, period. I know that the guys do get asked as well, yeah. um, but also that it's a dangerous place for women. And of course, I'm sick to death that that mentality exists. And it sometimes feels like it'll always exist because women will always be perceived as the weaker sex. Um, and as long as that's going around, I'm always going to be asked that question. And yeah, so it, it bothers me on that level. But when people ask me, like, I'm good because I can answer that question. Like, I know how to take care of myself because I've objectively really proven myself. Yeah. Um, and that was a fantasy I always had when I was younger. I was like, as soon as I'm, when I grow up and I've proven myself, you know, once I've done some world's first expeditions or won some adventure races, people will stop asking me for sure. Um, but now I'm in my 30s. I have proven myself and I still get asked. So my concern is, the women who are at the other end of that scale who are just starting out, you know, a woman, yeah. young woman who's maybe planning her first travel adventure and she'll be told that she'll be unsafe, that she can't do it and she might get discouraged and she might not. Cause you know, how does, you know, she's never done it yet. How does she know? And, and that's what, that's why I get sick of it when I hear that question. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to those women um, to, who want to do the sort of solo trips on their own? Would you just say, go for it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously the concerns about our safety are not, like, they're not misguided. Like, yes, yeah. of course, women around the world face, um, you know, brutal level of violence. Like, it's not a nice thing to think about. But the thing is that bothers me when we get the question about traveling is that we face that reality every single day of our lives, whether we're at home or abroad. I don't see how it's different. You know, this is what we deal with every single day and we've been taught how to act and how to dress and who to speak to so that we can avoid danger. So that's what I would say to a young woman is, you know what? Yeah, you, of course you have to be careful, but just the same amount of careful that you already are and that you already would be if you'd stayed home instead. So yeah, yeah. go for it. Yeah. No, that's really good. And I think that's really sort of insightful. So Lucy, uh, myself and Georgie actually all do a lot of running um so obviously we train and things like that but how do you train and prepare for these kinds of events i think we're quite interested in that like first of all i do a lot of big things in one year you know this year i've already done the atlas mountain race and run across the rockies and those are two pretty big epics um that took a lot out of me yeah um so i don't have a lot of time in between to recover repair train and then set off again so yeah. a lot of my time in between is actually just spent on injury prevention um i'm certainly noticing i'm 32 i'm certainly noticing that the muscles don't stay as well as they used to so um you know building in strength training because it is hard on my body the stuff that i'm doing going out that long and i'm pounding around the mountains so the strength training the yoga that kind of stuff too because that that's my worst fear is like if i'm going slow across the mountains i don't really care i'm just out there to do the adventure but if I get injured and I have to stop, that's honestly my biggest fear that I just yeah. couldn't face. So all I care about really is is um is that that my knees are gonna get through this. Yeah, yeah. And do you have like people helping you with that kind of things, or do you just sort of guide your own um, ideas with that? 
No, I just kind of made it up as I go along. And yeah. I think that's something that I've really enjoyed about starting to race is that then now I'm exposed to this community of people that we all have our different ways of going about it because the sport, like the ultra racing sport is so young that no one really knows what they're doing and everyone has a different yeah. approach, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's something I've enjoyed is having that community to bounce off. Yeah, yeah. Which part of the race is, is the toughest part, Jenny? Is it the climb or is it the, the just the sheer distance of the whole thing? Or is it the descent? Or how, how would you kind of classify it in toughness? I think it's, it's the relentlessness yeah. that, you know, you, you have to keep your shit together for a long period of time. And everything is going to get thrown at you. And you're going to have to solve all those problems. And then you're going to get a very short sleep and you're going to keep on going and you have to do it again. So I think it's, yeah, the fact that the pace doesn't stop, you've got to keep going, you've got to keep everything working. And I think that's the tough part is staying, keeping everything together and also staying motivated for that long. And so Jenny, as I'm sure you're aware, a large part of this podcast is really aimed at breaking down barriers for women in sport and really helping all women out there and coaches and practitioners and just anyone who's interested to really understand female physiology. Um, obviously, one key component of that is the menstrual cycle. Um, something that I guess like I'm really interested in generally is um, how, I guess, what discussion is out there around the menstrual cycle, like how freely do people communicate around it, but also what in the way of education have um, women and girls been given? Would you say, like, what are your experiences around that? You know what? I'm in my 30s and I'm still very much a student of how my body works. Like, I, like, this stuff is pretty new to me. So I am, um, I've been on IUD forever because the way that I travel, it was just like, to me, once I found out I could get this thing where I would never have a period, I was like, fantastic, sign me up. I don't care what the results are. Um, so I've, I've had those for ages. So then I just ignored this whole part. Like I never had to do it. And then actually on the Atlas mountain race this year, I did get a period and I wasn't prepared because I like, I so rarely get them. I literally get one or two a year max. And then it got in the worst possible time. I'm in this race. I'm in the middle of the Moroccan desert and North Africa is a place that you cannot have tampons. Like it's a cultural issue. So not only did I not have any, I couldn't buy one. And then here I am on my bike, just like, leading into my shorts and just going oh like this is literally the worst thing um so after that so I obviously I went on to win the race and that was my biggest problem and so I was being interviewed after the race and I got asked what went wrong so I just said you know I I got my period and it was a bit of a catastrophe and the the interviewer that asked me was one of my sponsors actually and and they thought oh that's fantastic let's actually talk about that let's do a piece so they um they wanted to put together a blog post and I was, I just realized this is the first time I've ever been asked about my period. And it's the first time I voluntarily spoken about it ever. And that's ridiculous. Um, and so a few women that were in the race kind of spoke about it and it was just like, I learned so much. Like I was taking notes from what the other women were saying because I didn't know things about like um, where you are in different parts of your cycle. And I didn't know any of that stuff. And that's just preposterous that I've never had any of these conversations. 32. Yeah, and from so many different levels, like merely the, the pure fact that actually exercise can help manage symptoms, but that's just not discussed and people don't know that. So 
Um, yeah, I think it is it's so interesting and thank you for sharing that. But I also think just to highlight, like even you're using an IUD, but your hormones are still fluctuating. And so that- Just learned itself, that recently. Yeah, exactly. And that in itself, like is so, I think it's again, important to help you understand like how you can support your body, like know your own body and know how the hormonal changes are affecting you and then you can be proactive to help manage it. Um, also with IUDs, obviously a common side effect is having irregular bleeding. So I think around 70% of people actually ovulate, but then some some people just have random spotting. So that would be the reason for that. Um, a question I was gonna ask you, but obviously now I know using an IUD is slightly different, but we know particularly in um, endurance athletes in sports where there is this like a, a drive for leanness, I guess. And I like, even though in like ultra distance events, it's not necessarily a drive for leanness, but there is this extreme endurance component to it. And that can cause a suppression of the menstrual cycle. So it can mean that you don't menstruate on a regular basis. You can be amenorrheic or oligomenorrheic. Um, and I feel like, again, like extreme endurance or what you're doing, you're putting so much stress on your body from a, um, both like keeping your body going for a like consecutive number of days, limiting your sleep, traveling a lot, like fueling in probably different ways than your body would optimally choose. Um, and also the psychological stress of the whole situation. So effectively that's creating a perfect storm for a mental dysfunction. Um, but I think what you were just saying about letting your body recover significantly between major events, I think that's so good to hear just from a health perspective, because it's letting all of those, while you've got like acute, um, I guess like extreme implications in that short window, but then relatively short, I'm sure it doesn't feel short at the time, but then you let your body like restore and um, regenerate, which is really positive to hear. Um, in terms of recovery, like obviously you've explained that you do like really let your body recover, but how, like in the short term, how do you recover? And what does that look like acutely after having done a big race? Um. So physically, I don't really get a choice. Like when I got back from the Rockies, because I guess, it was, I mean, it was pretty hard and I wasn't sleeping a lot. Like I couldn't stay awake. Like I had like a week there where there would be a lot of spontaneous naps. Like if I sat down, I would just fall asleep. So my, the physical recovery doesn't give me a choice. Like my legs are dead. I'm tired. I'm not getting anywhere. Um, the mental one is the one that I need to, to figure out and do right. And I've done it wrong several times. So I'm always learning. Um, but one thing I've found and one thing that I, I think is really starting to increase with me with the more time I spend out in the mountains is it's kind of overwhelming coming back because I might have just done three-ish weeks of just mountains, me. I wake up every morning. I do the same thing. I only have one set of clothes, so I put on the exact same set of clothes. I don't have to think about it. And then all I have to do is keep moving in the same direction that I've been trying to move in. And that's what my life boils down to. Like, of course it is gnarly and difficult, but it's like your life is very stripped back. And then I return to normal life and cities with pavement and cars and noises. And um, now there's more than one thing in my closet. And I find that really overwhelming and I have to decide and like all this stuff and like the amount of things that we have to do in a normal life, like you're being in phone signal again alone is just like a lot. Um, 
so I've always found that a few days after getting back, I actually just immediately need to go on a camping trip. <laughs> and I just like, even though I just got back, I just kind of wash my clothes and then go back out there and do like a short, easy trip just so I can sleep outside again and like be in nature again. So that's something I've found has really helped me is to like ease my transition back to the real world. For this series, we've joined Patreon. Patreon is a platform which has allowed us to build an online female athlete community. Through becoming a patron of the Female Athlete Podcast, you'll receive a range of benefits, including bonus content with every episode, your name in the show notes, and exclusive infographics and recipes, all based around the topics we discuss on the pod. Becoming a patron costs just £3.29 a month and supports our mission of empowering more women to own and understand their bodies and open up important topics which often go under-researched and under-discussed. If you like what we do and you want to support us, please consider becoming a patron. The link to our Patreon page is in the show notes or head to www.patreon.com forward slash podcast. Jenny, just going back to the menstrual cycle again, and you mentioned that you opened up for it about it for the first time after you completed the Atlas Mountain, after you won the Atlas Mountain race. And what was the reaction from other competitors and your friends and family off the back of it? And did it kind of spark a, a deeper kind of want in you to, to, to learn more about your menstrual cycle? Yeah, so I, I did have a lot of people that have kind of like guided me to things I should read and learn about, which has been really helpful. Um, the other part was, I mean, obviously that race is super male dominant. It was something like 90% ma- men in the yeah. field. Um, and I never told them during the race. And the only reason, like, I wasn't worried about how they were going to react to knowing that I had a period. It was more that it was a complaint. And if I said the complaint out loud, then it would be like, oh, poor Jenny. Um, so it was just mentally, I didn't want to tell them. So when they all found out after that, I was dealing with that while they were racing next to me. Like a lot of them did get in touch and say really nice things like, like thanks for helping us understand why this is different you know because we talk about female participation being low and how we're going to fix that because we all do want to fix it um and so part of you know part of bringing in different groups is understanding what their barriers are and so a lot of the guys in the race did say things like you know just it didn't even i didn't even have to consider the extra stuff that you women have to deal with when you race so thanks for helping us and then also like you know a lot of kind of nice things about the fact that I I did have to cope with more than they did and I still kept up with a few of them yeah yeah. so yeah it was was all really positive which was which was really nice it's kind of a weird thing to open up into the public sphere about yeah um your menstruation and your birth control choices you know it's just not something that a lady should talk about is it so (laughs) um so I was a little bit like oh do I really want to do this but then yeah Yeah. it was just positive and I just realized well duh like half of us are women and the other half should know how we work so like and honestly like thank you because I think we need more people like you speaking out about this exact thing just to highlight it should be normalized it it? is it's normal it's normal natural and a sign of health yeah Yeah. I just wanted to go back to your comment about the whole kind of tampon taboo in is it Morocco you said that that was because I recently got told that um in Ireland they recently pulled a tampax advert because it was just too out there and yeah and it's just it, you kind of don't expect it from countries like Ireland to be a little bit like that but what's what was to be story? fair period product commercials are always strange and upsetting <laughs> like I don't Ooh, like when it's blood blue I mean come on now well exactly like, like oh god there must be something very wrong with me because mine doesn't look like that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's really funny. Yeah, no, um, there's quite a lot of countries where um, menstruating is very difficult. I mean, if we can't talk about it, imagine cultures where women are a lot further back than we are. Yeah, there's a lot of countries where getting those products is really hard. Um, women are just kind of expected to just not exist or for that time or or just keep doing what they're doing. And, you know, like, it's just, it's it's a difficult thing around the world, you know, and we come from the most privileged part of the world to be a woman and this is still... A difficult topic so it was quite eye-opening and that was the thing that stopped me complaining to be honest when I was in Morocco and I was like obviously completely uncomfortable like I couldn't get a tampon like it wasn't nice um but then I just thought to myself everywhere that I was cycling through and I was you know cycling by choice because that's my life um all the women that I passed who were out maybe doing difficult jobs in the same hot sun that I was under they also can never buy tampons and they have to be there every single month of the year and you know, and so that was something that I said to myself to kind of calm myself down was like, you know, if they can live their entire lives this way, because they don't have a choice, then, you know, I can get through one cycle. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was really refreshing at the beginning. And you were just like saying how you make it up as you go along kind of thing with your with your training or, um, you know, you just kind of throwing yourself into it. And it's it is really inspiring as a, as a woman. And, it, you know, I, I read that your um, Silk Road mountain race was obviously, I think, 1,800 kilometers, but it was a climb of 30,500 meters, which I think I worked out is go, like going up Everest three and a half times. Oh gosh, is it? How do you do it? I just don't get how you don't, so you don't specifically train or do you on the bike before you go off or is it just something that you just think like, I have to do this and I'm, I'm going to do it? Um, yeah, I mean, you do get better with experience. Like endurance sports are something that I think it does take literally years to start seeing those improvements that you just got, your body's got the experience to do it. So um, certainly, and I had, I had been riding a lot that year. And I had done two big rides, like I'd raced the Transatlantic Way and I'd done another ride across Europe. Like I was, I had been riding a lot. Um, but there is something I think on a long event, as in the ones that take more than a week, um, your body does adapt. It does just get kind of used to the fact like, this is just what we're doing and you're going way slower than you normally would. But like, you can just kind of keep, the thing is that you got to get somewhere. Like I do stuff in the wilderness, so I can't just like, say this is too hard and stop because then I'm like in the middle of the mountains and I'll die of exposure. Like I have to get somewhere. So like you kind of have to keep going. So that helps. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> and I think that's, that's also, yeah, really good because you almost like break it down. You're not over overthinking or overcomplicating it. It's literally like, I'm just gonna, what have I got to do today? Like I've got to get through this. I guess you have like different stages to aim for and you don't overthink about, like the bigger picture of climbing Everest three times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing that I've noticed a lot of the other racers do that I don't do is that they actually like, because we get the route sent to us right before the race and they'll all spend a lot of time researching it so they know when the big climbs are coming and they know when this and that, whatever. And I never, ever do that. I just take a note of how many kilometers between resupply points because obviously that's important to get food. But other than that, I just don't look at, the race course because like it's just gonna happen to you no matter what so mm -hmm. I don't want to know like I'm motivated by the adventure of it anyways so I'm more excited if I turn the corner and I see something I wasn't expecting because I had no idea what, what to expect so that's kind of that like go before you visit thing the people that really research it really well and and know what's going to be there and have a strategy I just think that would ruin my motivation so 
yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of times in these races where I'm like, I've been going up this hill for six hours. Did anyone else know that there was like a climb this long? Like, yeah, just, I don't know. I just take it as it comes. We've noticed in the ultra endurance events, like women uh, compete with the men quite often, don't they? Um, so do, do you like that kind of thing? And then how much of that then do you attribute to sort of mental strength to sort of get you and um, through the events and, and beat the guys, hopefully? <laughs> Uh, one thing I really, really like on these events is that we have all different types of people and we're all just, there's only first place. There's no yeah. other, there's no senior category. There's no female. There's, it's just, there's first. Yeah. Um, and so one thing that's really cool is that we meet people of all different ages, all different walks of life, um, and genders. And so everyone's got a very different hand of cards to play. And in an endurance event that takes many days, um, there are a lot of different ways to win. You, you know, you can be a really good cyclist is one thing, but like I'm a terrible cyclist, but I'm really good at staying organized and I'm really good at um, keeping myself going. Um, and there's people, like, you know, everyone's got different advantages and different disadvantages. And so it's all about playing your unique hand of cards. And I think that to me makes a really exciting race. Um, so I, I do agree with why we don't have different podiums why it's all just the winner is the winner it doesn't matter if they're a man or a woman but when we're still at the point that women are nowhere near 50 percent of registrations um i think we still do need to make a song and dance about the ones that do compete um and i'm really really grateful for the that was not in race in particular the documentary film that came out did have me and the woman in second and a lot about our race even though we weren't even in the top 10 um just because that whole, if you can't see it, you can't be it thing. You know, if they really bang the drum about the women who do race and race well, and you know, my title of first place is so unofficial, but we know that so few women made it to that race and that race is a very hard part of the world to be a woman that if we do acknowledge the women, then more women are gonna come next year. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really refreshing. And like you say, it sort of opens it up to more and more people and to there's no restrictions, no barriers. It's just like, come along and have a go. Um, how often do you like, in terms of obviously, we talked like physically, but obviously a lot of this is going to be mental as well, isn't it? Like you've, you've spoken about. So what sort of things do you utilize during the event to sort of get you through it? Because obviously sometimes you're like three weeks totally on your own. I'm not sure how my mind would cope, but <laughs> um, how do you get through that? Um. The more I do it, the better I get. Um, and I've just kind of built up the coping techniques that work for me. Um, the biggest risk in going solo is that um, you have to do all this stuff yourself. No one is going to help manage your mood. And managing your mood by yourself, I think, is a really difficult thing because there's something about when you get negative that you want to like keep on like pulling down that dark hole for some reason. Um, so you have to be proactive and you have to you have to just treat the way that you treat your body. If I say like my knee's hurting, I need to think about that right away. And how am I going to fix that? And I'll do the same thing. If I start complaining or feeling negative, you know, sometimes I just get bombarded with negative thoughts. Like I'll never get up that mountain. I'm going to miss my next resupply, like whatever it is. And I have to say, okay, oh, there's something wrong there that needs to get fixed. Just the same as, yeah, my, my knee hurting or my bike squeaking or whatever it is. I have to treat my mind the same way. Um, and think about what techniques are going to work. So headphones are one of my most important pieces of equipment. Um, just put in the right playlist or podcasts are amazing, especially if loneliness is the issue that you get to like listen to a conversation or take your mind completely away and think about a 
like I like listening to a random podcast that doesn't even have to do with what I'm doing, like an economics podcast or something horrible to like just put my mind completely into a different problem. Um, and that will really help. Um, obviously one of the best things about being experienced is that I can usually always truthfully say I've been through worse. I've had so many catastrophes around the world by now that like, even when things are just going not my way, I can say like, Oh, well, remember that one time that was way worse. You got through that. You'll get through this. And this, honestly, it's amazing, Jenny. It's so inspiring. So in an article you recently, uh, or in a recent article that you're involved with, um, you said that the biggest lesson you've learned is that we're actually tougher than we think, very apt given your surname. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure you've had that one so many times. Um, but with that in mind, like, do you think that really applies almost more to women? Because I think as women, obviously, we often doubt ourselves and I'm massively generalizing here but the tendency would be that women are more likely to be insecure and doubt ourselves and question our own ability um and and think that we're not strong and tough enough really is that a a key message that you would like to spread to people and is like how would you um inspire other women out there with this point specifically in mind I guess you can stand up and say look what I've done but is that something which you've also struggled with and you've kind of got around um yeah it definitely it does come from a personal experience um and I shied away from that phrase for so long because of my name um because it's a bit corny to go around saying that but like I honestly think every woman should write it on the back of your hand you're tougher than you think and start going through life backing yourself like, and there's so many different levels to this. You know, it's been proven that you, you can cycle up a hill faster with positive mantras than by negative ones. And I'm so guilty of always going up the hill going like, oh, you're never going to get there because you're so fat. And then actually, if you can just wipe that out and say like, no, I'm going to get there because I'm tougher than I think. Like, I don't think I can get there, but like, I remember I'm tougher than I think. So somehow I am going to get there because I got there last time. I'll do it again. Um, and yeah, it extends all throughout your life. It's not just sport. You know, you've heard that thing about, um, if there's a job posting and there's yeah. these eight qualifications you need, women who have seven won't apply, men who have four will. Yeah. Like that I've definitely seen in this ultra scene that it's that mentality that I see so many women that are not signing up for these races because they're like, oh, like what I get the most I think is, oh, I want to do it next year or the year after once I've had some time to learn this and that. And then I'm meeting these guys in this race and you're looking at them going like, how did you even get in? Like you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> but like they at least had that confidence and, And that's one thing I admire about men and I wish that I could harness is that confidence because like I don't have it. I'm still working on it all the time. That phrase, you're tougher than you think. I'm not just saying that to other people because I want them to know it. I have to remind myself that all the time. That's a conversation I have when I'm having my self-doubt. So like we all have it. That's fine. But like, just trust me, you are tougher than you think. Wow, guys, I don't know what you thought about that, but Jenny Tuff is, is as her name says, she's very, very tough and uh, one amazing girl. I just think, what did you guys think? Yeah, I thought it was so, as you said, so inspiring. And I feel like I really, really believe that women need to demonstrate and are and can be limitless. And I think she's just like done everything in terms of challenging her mind, challenging her body, but also listening to her body and listening to her mind and recognizing okay like this is quite tough but actually I can do it and I think that for me is an inspiration to everyone in any like walk of life. I love the way that she was so um like so ordinary it's a compliment because she was just so 
such an ordinary person and she was just like if I can do it like you can do it and um I don't think it's made the end this may be in clip but Georgie when you said to her like oh when I go on a short run and I find it really tough like I feel like I should channel my inner Jenny tough and then she came in and was like oh yeah like I tried to go for a 3k run yesterday and I just gave up because it was like it wasn't my day and it it was just like really relatable and I thought she she just did that so well considering what she's achieved in in her life Great. So for question time this week, I've recently um, been contacted with um, a, a specific question around use of the copper coil. So just to rem- remind everyone, the copper coil is a non-hormonal form of contraception. Um, typically, it's called an interuterine device. Um, there is a hormonal version, but this is the non-hormonal version. Um and um, a runner actually got in touch to say that um, she has been experiencing some heavy bleeding with use of the copper coil and also um, long, long periods of, of blood loss. So not just like a typical period, but actually an elongated, almost just regular spotting. Um, so she was wondering if that's normal and what should she do about it now first thing i must say is it's really important if you do have concerns to seek medical advice um from a doctor if you have concerns about this however what we do know is that um firstly using a a copper coil is not going to prevent the natural hormonal changes that occur through your menstrual cycle because it is a non-hormonal form of um, contraception. So the mechanism by which it works isn't to suppress ovulation, for example. It's not to interfere with the um, HPG access. Um, it's simply to change the environment uh, to effectively not enable a fertilization and the development of a, a fetus. Um, what we do know is that heavy bleeding is actually a common um, side effect of using a copper IUD. Um, and we're, I guess, researchers are increasingly trying to understand the specific reasons for this. Um, but there is some evidence to suggest that the copper, so um, the copper coil contains obviously copper and it has it releases copper ions. Um, and it's thought that the copper ions interact with the like vascularization of the endometrial tissue. So basically that means that more um, blood loss can occur as a result of in- increased vascularization. So in- increased um, kind of blood flow and um, development of that tissue, which is then lost. Um, so while it is relatively common to be experience heavy bleeding off the back of it and to experience some um, regular spotting, um, that should only actually occur in the sort of first three to six months um, of uh, insertion of the IUD. So if that continues for any elongated period of time, I would definitely recommend um, seeking some medical advice. But yeah, again, like I think tracking um, actual blood loss and if you do have um, some concerns around what's going on with, with this specifically, I think go to your doctor with, okay, I've tracked this for three cycles and this is what I'm seeing um, and, and logging symptoms as well. Thank you for joining us for our first episode back in series two. We really hope you enjoyed Jenny Tuff's interview and found it as inspirational and motivating as we did. We'd like to thank our sponsor for this series, Pretty Athletic. 
Pretty Athletic is a unique skincare brand for active women. Head to www.prettyathletic.com to view the amazing range of products available and use discount code FEMALEATHLETEPOD for 20% off. You can also now head to our Patreon page where we've uploaded a recipe for endurance runners. See you next time.